0: way to take a look at really the gift we've been given and what we've been studying in the last couple of weeks, this idea of a constitutional republic. And as we went through the Statue of David and we went through all these different aspects, we remember that this statue um, was an immovable object that needed to be protected as it was designed by Michelangelo. And then from the Roman cognate, the, the excuse me, the Latin cognate, the, the root word for statue is statute. And then you also get constitution. It is this immovable object to remain there, this this creation that is to remain there, to be of significance and to speak to a populace. So the question I asked you, and I ask again tonight, is how many rights does the U.S. Constitution give us? None. It protects, and that's why I put a box around it, it protects and keeps the government limited to protect the personal rights of the citizen. Do you understand that? It protects the rights of the citizen. The essence of freedom is the proper limitation of government. The greater the government, the smaller the citizen. And so our responsibility is to maintain this republic. And when Franklin was asked, what form of government have you given us? He said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. And as we saw last week, if it's of the people, by the people and for the people, if the governed don't participate in government, then we lose that representation. You must understand what your rights are, what the Constitution says. You have to be a defender of it and a protector of it. That's why all civil servants take an oath of office to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And last night at the council meeting, I voted. I was the only one on the council to vote in opposition to a a three-tiered water system. I felt as though as I examined it, it was a violation of the Fifth Amendment, and I could not in good conscience vote for that. I didn't think that the increase was overwhelming. I thought it was justified. But a tiered water system is a violation of the Fifth Amendment. And so we have to be prepared. And as I said to one council member, I I said, that's a violation of the Constitution. I said, the Fifth Amendment, I'm not sure what that one is. And I repeated what it was, and they understood the Fourth Amendment. And I said, how many articles are there? And and this is where we have to educate and hold our representatives accountable. If anyone wants to run for office, and I was speaking in Santa Barbara, an event, two folks came up saying they wanted to run for office. I took the two aside because I didn't want to publicly embarrass them. I said, I would be happy to support you, but I want to know how many articles are in the U.S. Constitution. (laughs) Name one of them. Then don't run for office until you know those because you will take an oath of office to defend them And if you want people to run for office, they need to know what the Constitution is because these rights must be protected in a republic and as a representative form of government. And that's what we're going to cover this evening because as we've gone through the Declaration of Independence, and let's just give you a simple way to look at it. The Declaration of Independence is our mission statement. The U.S. Constitution is our bylaws. Mission statement, bylaws. This is what we want to do. This is how we do it. Does everyone understand that? So with with the Declaration of Independence, um, we covered this when in the course of human events it becomes necessary. And we, we realized that it's at any time for any people, it wasn't specific to the United States of America, this was a declaration for the world to see that for the first time in human history, the individual rights that are given by the laws of nature and nature's God that these And it says that all men are created equal, and we covered equal. It's not equal in capacity, but equal in dignity. We can look around the room. Some people are taller. Some people are shorter. Some people are richer. Some people are poor. Some, some are healthy. Some are not as healthy. We watch a football game. There's folks that win, folks that lose. We're not equal in capacity we're equal in dignity and that we've all been created in the image of God and as a result, we are given inalienable rights and I've covered that in the middle of inalienable is the word lean, uh, L-I-E-N, which means they can't be taken away and you can't give them away. They're given to you by God. Now, if you give up that right to have those rights and, and you think you can surrender them and you allow another person to suppress you, that is your onus because it says in the course of human events, it becomes necessary and so our founders looked and they realized this is unacceptable and they're going to use a word that would send shockwaves around the world. Never before had this word ever been used or considered. And, and they developed this idea from the Two Treatises of Government by a man by the name of John Locke, read Two Treatises of Government, it's an easy read and it's a fascinating read. Two Treatises of Government by John Locke. And this is, this is what we're gonna cover tonight. Our government is representative, and what representative means is that we don't do it ourselves, we elect others to represent us. Yes? House of representatives. So if we're going to understand our form of government, which is unique in the history of the world, as I said earlier, we have to understand something that's very important in the Declaration of Independence that's a precursor, and that thing that we need to understand is very, very important, and I'll show you what it is. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights governments are instituted among men here we go deriving their just powers from the everyone say consent from the consent of the governed so the argument goes like this there's such a thing as a human and that human is given equality by God equality by dignity not by capacity yes yes So there's such a thing as a human, they're given equality by nature's God, the law of nature, nature's God. Equality meaning dignity, not capacity. And because all humans are equal, yes? Hello? That equality sets them up to be governed only by their consent. This word, consent, would send shockwaves through the world. And this one word sent us into the Revolutionary War. The mission statement, as I said earlier, found in the Declaration of Independence gave rise to the U.S. Constitution. We had the mission statement, we had the bylaws, so to connect all those together and to retrace the steps of the American Revolution, this is what we're gonna do tonight. What is consent and why is it important? So what is consent? Anybody, raise your hand, because we had mob rule last time. Yes to give your permission to do something? Let's look, that's, a, that's an excellent definition. Uh, what's consent in the form of a government? Okay. Raise your hand. And through an election you were saying what to that representative? That he consent to be governed. Okay. Of the 85, and and I'm not speaking, you don't have to be a Christian here tonight, I'm just talking in generalities for an understanding. There's 65 to 85 million evangelical Christians in a nation of 300 million. In a presidential, half of those are registered to vote. In a presidential election, only half of those vote. In a non-presidential election, 12.5% vote. So when you don't vote or even register to vote, your apathy is giving consent for anyone to rule you and to do as they please. when you don't participate in election, when you don't interview a candidate, when you don't dig into the details, when you don't read the issues, you are giving consent for somebody else to take away whatever it was that was given to you in this box that is supposed to protect the rights given to you by God, but by apathy and ignorance, you surrender them. So consent is, like you said, giving permission but apathy is giving permission for anyone to do with you as you please. I don't care. Now what's the point? I'm busy. It's Tuesday. I've worked all day. I don't want to go to the polls. I don't want to get up early. I don't know what the issues are. I haven't studied them. Why bother? There's so many of them. Anybody who ever said that? I thought maybe I was the only one. <laughs> The laws of nature and nature 's God, the laws of nature and nature 's God. I want to share with you what John Locke said. Natural law is also distinct from divine law, and that in the latter, the Christian tradition, normally referred to those laws that God has directly revealed through prophets and other inspired writers. and John Locke, he was a Christian. Um, he saw that, that, that this was of vital importance, but he went beyond this idea of what you see in the scriptures of um, inspired law by God or that which was given to a prophet. And he said natural law, which is different than this idea of divine law. He said natural law can be discovered by reason alone and applies to all people. It doesn't matter this evening If this isn't the church you attend, or you're not even a church attender, or you're an agnostic, or an atheist, or it doesn't, it doesn't matter because the idea that John Locke put forward and our founders is it didn't matter what religion you held to. The point was natural law could be discovered by reason alone and applies to all people, while divine law can be discovered only through God's special revelation, applies only to those to whom it is revealed and who God specifically indicates are to be bound even though, and and this is what an author writes, he says, even though Locke thought natural law could be known apart from special revelation, he saw no contradiction in God playing a part in the argument, so long as the relevant aspects of God's character could be discovered by reason alone. The author also says, Locke's state of nature thinking is an expression of his theological position. So, Our founders were deeply influenced by John Locke, but this is the point he made, that man exists in a world created by God for God's purposes, but that governments are created by men in order to further those purposes. He got that out of Genesis with the Noahic Covenant. He saw this idea of extending the laws of nature and nature's God, that these rights are given by our creator as opposed to man. And it was a revolutionary thought. And then finally, Locke's theory of the state of nature will thus be tied closely to his theory of natural law, since the latter defines the rights of persons and their status as free and equal, as equal persons. So who says that you're equal? I mean, you've seen George Orwell, all men are equal, some are just more equal than others. But how do we deal with equality and dignity? If we think that equality, as we've covered before, is in capacity, and you're getting an uh, an A in the class, and you're getting an F, and and from from each according to his ability to each according to his need, which is Mark's, I say, I'm going to take two grades from you, give you a C, bring you up two grades and give you a C, and you're both equal. Equal in capacity. We've done this. And so what happens is you don't want to work hard anymore, and you're waiting for the next handout. And so you take the fourth greatest nation in the Western Hemisphere, Venezuela, you apply this form of government, thinking this is equality, and you create people that are starving, and you ruin an entire nation in the course of, what, 20 years now? We saw North Korea and South Korea, one has the 11th largest GDP on the face of the earth, the other has 150-something GDP. Same people, same language type, and actually North Korea has more agrarian property than South Korea. Why is one flourishing and the other is diminishing? It's the idea of freedom. Is the equality that everyone dresses the same, acts the same, must eat the same, must, 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 or is it the ability to have, as we talk about, the humanity of man to excel and to realize his full nature and his capacity? The equality is the idea that there's dignity from God and these rights are to be protected Now, we're going to fail, and we have, and we're going to see the founders failed in many capacities, but this form of government is not an oligarchy. It is to protect, and it can only be protected when the populace is educated. Is everyone tracking me so far? So, if we are equal, and this is the simple conclusion, and I'm going to do it, instead of going through John Locke, I'm going to make it as simple as possible. I'm going to dumb it down so I understand it. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Here we go. Ready? If we are equal in dignity, if we are equal, you wouldn't have the authority to do something to me unless I say so. Does everybody get that? If we're equal, you, you have no, you're not born to rule me. You weren't born a king and I'm born a pauper. You weren't born with a silver spoon, and I'm born in poverty. Even if you were born with a silver spoon, you still don't have the right to tell me what to do. We're equal. Everybody get that? Revolutionary. And so when they put this together, they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Created equal. Are you kidding me? The, the King, King George, reading that is just that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. Are you kidding me? Right? He responded to this Declaration of Independence by these 13 upstart colonies, and it infuriated him. Now, it took time for this Declaration of Independence to get across the ocean, and he had to read it, and then he sat on his throne and he gave an edict on October 31st, 1776. And this is what he said. This was his response to the Declaration of Independence. King George said, his majesty, most gracious speech to both houses of parliament on Thursday, October 31st, 1776. My lords and gentlemen, by the way, do you see my lords and gentlemen, nothing could have afforded me so much satisfaction as to have been able to inform you at the opening of this session that the troubles which have so Long distracted, my colonies in North America were at the end, and that my unhappy people recovered from their delusion, had delivered themselves from the oppression of their leaders, and returned to their duty. But so daring and desperate is the spirit of those leaders who object has always been dominion and power that they have now openly renounced all allegiance to the crown and all political connection with this country. They have rejected with circumstances of indignity and insult the means of conciliation held out to them under the authority of our commission and have presumed to set up their rebellious confeder- confederacies. For independent states, if their treason be suffered to take root, here we go, much mischief must grow from it to the safety of my, yes, best of Perrier, my loyal colonies, to the commerce of my kingdoms, and indeed to the present system of all Europe. One great advantage, however, will be derived from the object of the rebels being openly avowed and clearly understood. We shall have unanimity at home, founded in the general conviction of the justice and necessity of our measures. My lords and gentlemen, in this arduous contest, I have no other object but to promote the true interests of all my subjects. No people ever enjoyed more happiness or lived under milder government than those now revolted provinces. The improvements in every art of which they boast declare it, their numbers, their wealth, their strength by the sea and land, which they think sufficient to enable them to make heads against the whole power of my, of the mother country and our irrefragable proofs of it. I don't know what that means. My desire is to restore them to the blessings of the law and liberty equally enjoyed by every British subject, 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 which they have fatally and desperately exchanged for all the calamities of war and the arbitrary tyranny of their chiefs. Let me just make sure, because I don't want to turn the page unless we're finished with that. Yes. Do you notice that he says my a lot? The king owns everything. The king owns everything and he is furious. Now his response as he gets this declaration of independence and he reads it, his response to reading it and getting it is such that he looks at it and he says, how can they be upset with me? I am one of the most benevolent and kind rulers that have ever been on the face of the earth. And I've afforded them happiness, and I've afforded them luxuries, and he goes on and on and on. And he, he, he declares, you, you should love what I'm doing. And he thought, I am your king. You are my subjects. I was born a king. You were born my subjects. Get your act together. Stop this. Quit listening to these people and fall in line. And he thought this edict, and King George was a pretty cool guy, he was mellow going, many people thought him to be a man of faith, and he, he loved a garden, and, and historians have declared him to be a very insightful and kind of intriguing man, and he wasn't this despot, but he writes this, and he thinks in October 31st, and we'll go back to it, look when he writes it, it's October 31st, 1776, so he writes it, and he sends it back to the colonies so that they will read it and come to their senses. Now, October 31st, 1776. It's an awful time for America. Let's go through this. On October 31st, 1776, some awful things had happened. And I wanted to share with you six months after the Declaration of Independence, the American Revolution was all but lost. They had signed this declaration in July of 1776. Six months after that signing it, everything is lost and and this this edict from the king comes at this exact time a powerful british force had routed the americans at new york occupied three colonies and advanced within sight of philadelphia by christmas eve of 1776 george washington had retreated into pennsylvania with what was left of his army many of which were due to leave as their enlistments were expired the continental army was melting the conscriptions would be up january 1st of 77 and and they were they were falling out like the 101st Airborne. They were peeling off. And in and, and a couple of battles, when Washington went into battle, over a 1,000 Continental troops just went home. And as you read the writings of Washington in 1776 and those that are writing to him, everyone is saying, this thing's over. And behind him in, in this point where he's losing enlistments, all these enlistments are expiring, nobody's signing up, no money's coming in, The elite force of the British army are supplemented by the brutally effective Hessians, which are German troops that have been enlisted by the British crown. And the only thing that's separating Washington's army from annihilation is the Delaware River. And all of his men are freezing. 2,500 men died in, in encampment. They were the darkest days of this colonial army. And you know what he decides to do? He gets this edict from King George... And so do all the continental forces and all the Americans as it's distributed throughout all of America. And they have this edict from King George. It's read in every hamlet, every village, every city. And I got to tell you the effect it had. And I'm going to use the NFL as an example. We had one player kneel for the national anthem. The president tweets And now there's close to 200. Now, in one sense, they're different, but in another, what he probably intended, maybe he intended that he wanted to see where the dividing lines are and highlight them. I don't know what his intentions are. He's a tough guy to figure out. (laughs) And I've been watching the dialogue of, of the citizenry going back and forth and reading and this and this and this and... And seeing some of the young people trying to wrap their mind around it and, and trying to dialogue and communicate about it. And you're just watching this. Even at the council meeting, I turned to the mayor and I said, are we standing for the pledge or kneeling? <laughs> and she said, you're welcome to kneel if you'd like. I said, I'm gonna do whatever you do. And She says, I'll be standing. I will too. I actually would have stood anyways. But as the Continental Army is dissolving And they're freezing in the winter of 1776. And these are just some of the pictures of the descriptions that were given by those who lived through it. There was no food. There were no provisions. Most of the British forces had taken in in Manhattan all of the Continental Army's equipment. They were decimated. And this edict from the king... inspired the Continental Army. He thought, they'll all melt. They read it and they go, who does he think he is? It was interesting because King George thought that his address to the Declaration of Independence would be persuasive enough to stop the revolution and it did just the opposite. And as we read what he wrote, And you look at the date of it, October 31st, 1776, Franklin, Benjamin Franklin went to England and he was our emissary to go and try to work through this in England. And as he sits in front of the king's authorities and he he presses his case, the response he gets from the authorities in England is, England, it it was in the king's edict, they just repeated it, England is the mother country and you are the children, you must do as we say. Franklin received that. He sent word back to the Continental Congress. And in that word, he wrote, there's going to be a war. <laughs> it, you're, we're not doing what you say. If you're going to be the king, we'll decide that. But we are not your subjects. And a remarkable event in human history resulted as a result of one word, consent. Consent. you can only do to me what I say you can do. The king thought the decree would make everything go away but it had the exact opposite effect and even though Washington's men were dying and freezing and the war for the most part was over to the point where General Howe and even the British forces wintered in New York thinking let's just take a break and we'll come back and just wipe them out because there's nothing left of them. We don't need to do this in the winter time. And uh, You know what's interesting about the king's decree? What he wrote is what every ruler on the face of the earth agreed to. They all agreed the divine right of kings. There there wasn't a government on the face of the earth that would have disagreed with what the king wrote. I'm born a king. You're born a subject. This idea that we're equal never even established on the face of the earth. There was no government that ever even looked at that. You were born... To serve me and this word of consent and this idea of e- equality and in dignity i was born a king you were born a subject you must do what i say and this declaration of independence comes out and he's infuriated by it <clears throat> and basically what the colonist said is we have the same right as you because we were born the same as you in the dignity of god endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if you're going to have consent, then that is a very radical thing to think. And consent, that word consent brought about a war. You see... August 27th, the Redcoats had defeated George Washington's army in the Battle of Long Island. Washington's army escapes at night. The British occupied New York City. General George Washington and Daniel Green, uh, Israel Putman, triumphantly hold their ground at the Battle of Harlem Heights. And that was similar to uh, Dunkirk. It wasn't a victory. It was, it was an exit. It was a retreat. And they were able to stave off the British forces while they were able to get to Pennsylvania and winter up in Pennsylvania. The Americans retreat from White Plains, New York. British casualties, 300. Americans, 200. The Hessians capture Fort Washington in New York. Lord Cornwallis captures Fort Lee from Nathaniel Green. And here we see what inspired. It wasn't just Thomas Paine saying, these are the times that try men's souls, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot when the season shrink from the duty of their country, but those who defend it now deserve the love and respect of all men and women. It was the decree from King George that just infuriated the Americans. And Washington, instead of surrendering, realized, and you can read his writings, he realized, if we don't attack and press this, we're finished. And so he pressed for the the battle. And what was fascinating about this battle, his target was Trenton, New Jersey, where 1,200 crack troops uh, under the command of Commandant Colonel Johann Rall defended the town. If Washington failed his defeat would almost certainly spell the end of the American Revolution. The Americans began their crossing at dusk. Almost immediately, things began to go wrong. Uh, and, and this is fascinating because they, they tried to muster enough troops and Washington was commanding. I think it was about 2,400 men. So the Americans began their crossing at dusk and things began to go terribly wrong. The conditions were so bad that the two Southern div- divisions couldn't even cross the river in sufficient strength and eventually called off their assault altogether. And they had all the artillery. So they, they didn't even make it to the crossing point and Washington is, is out there with no artillery. He made the decision to go anyways To reach Trenton at sunrise, Washington figured he would need to get 2,400 men across the river by midnight, but the weather and ice slowed the crossing, and it wasn't until 4 a.m. that the troops started moving, planning to reach the edge of the town at sunrise around 6 a.m. They didn't arrive until 8 o'clock in the morning. Trenton's 1,400 Hessian defenders were groggy, and this is a godsend. They were groggy from the previous evening's festivities, underestimated the Patriot threat, and after months of decisive British victories throughout New York, They had been drinking that night, and they all had hangovers. (laughs) And although several hundred Hessians escaped, nearly a 1,000 were captured at the cost of only four American lives. And you know, the victory wasn't particularly significant from a strategic point of view, but the news of Washington's initiative raised the spirits of the American colonists who had previously feared that the Continental Army was incapable of victory, and it all came about because of that word consent. And the king's words... And I, I'm, I'm a pastor, so I can't say this. What I was going to say was, it pissed him off. But I'm not going to say that. And it was a, a routed victory. Just, by the way, we'll cover this maybe in time, but in the front of the boat are two African Americans that were <laughs> instrumental in history in the United States of America. And they were put specifically in this picture because they were used so profoundly in the Revolutionary War. And the, the troops were integrated in the Revolutionary War. It, it changed later with with um, pro-slavery factions in our country. And we'll, we'll cover that. We'll go through the three-fifths clause in the Constitution. Many say that, that that's proof that our founders uh, considered uh, African-Americans less than uh, anyone else and I've covered this, the three-fifths clause was to go against the southern states to end slavery through the legislative process. This is uh, Thomas Paine, these are the times that try men's souls, A summer soldier, the sunshine patriot, when this crisis shrank from the service of their country, but he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered, yet we have this consolation wish that with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap we esteem too lightly and is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price on its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. And you know what? We don't give a rip. We love the benefits of freedom, but we don't want to defend it. And I'm not speaking about you. I'm speaking about all the men and women that go through the course of their day not realizing the gift we've been given in a constitutional republic that realizes the essence of freedom is the proper limitation of government, and they educate themselves to defend it. And there's times where I've been discouraged, but every Wednesday night, I'm anything but discouraged. Because you care. Consent to the govern. They can only have authority if you consent. If you choose not to consent, you better be right and ready to fight. And that's it. I don't have anything else tonight. Any questions? I were, maybe. Oh. oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> any questions tonight? Uh, any comments? Yes, back here. Not so much about what you covered tonight, but when, they, when they, the founders referred to nature as God, what is it? Why did they say nature as God instead of God? Why were you here last week? Yeah. <laughs> 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 maybe I didn't include it. Uh the laws of nature, meaning this idea of, as John Locke said, these are things that can be discerned. And let me repeat the question so that the people listening, because I don't have the microphone and my daughter kept saying, repeat the questions because people who listen online can't hear it. The question for all the listening audience was, what is the laws of nature and nature's God and why did our founders say that? Is that correct? Okay. The laws of nature, as described by John Locke, are those things that can be discerned by any man or woman, regardless of their refi- religious affiliation, simply by uh, common sense, and those things that come by looking at nature itself. For example, this you've heard the, the theory of evolution, right? Well, this is the law of gravity. There's theories and there's laws. This is discernible whether you're an agnostic, an atheist. It doesn't matter. That is the law of nature. Um, for example, one of the things we're struggling with now is this idea, and, and for those of you who are in this world, this isn't a condemnation aspect. This is one of those things we have to examine. And in our congregation, we have folks that are in these worlds, and, and they're, they're sincerely interested in wanting to examine these things. But one of the things I showed on a Sunday service is, two men are having a baby. And this was broadcast on CNN. Two men are having a baby. And so we looked at it, and and is this true? Two men are having a baby. The one was a a biological female who was taking taking male hormones to have facial hair and, and appear to be a male, but was a biological female. The other was a male who was a professing homosexual. And so really, as you were looking at it, it wasn't two men having a baby. It was a a biological female who had to stop taking male hormones in in order to become pregnant. And it was a, a man professing, a biological male professing to be a homosexual male, but really was having physical relations with a biological female. And you're looking at that going, if we're really going to be honest... That's what it is. And so we ha- the, we have to suppress that and call it something else. And our kids look at it and go, oh, I'm sorry, am, did I get something wrong here, Mom, Dad? And, and we approve it and we elevate it and we educate it and somewhere along the line we're not applying the laws of nature. It doesn't matter if you're... Agnostic, atheist, faithful towards any—it does that. Just look at the biology of it. I'm not talking about the psychology of it. And by the by, the way, philosophy—the the definition of philosophy is love for wisdom. And all theologies is attempt to understand our universe. And this is the idea of the laws of nature. We want to understand, and we be, we come to our full nature like a tree, where the the elements that allow us to to realize our full potential. Air, water, food, you know, soil, all that is there. And that tree, and if we talk about whether it's a coastal oak or a valley oak, it realizes its full potential when it has all the necessary things from nature to allow it to flourish. The same is with us. Our children flourish. If we extend to them, as we've covered this idea of the law, the law is the wise restraints that make men free. If we don't put restraints on our children, the old Danish proverb is, if you give to a child when it cries or a pig when it oinks, you'll end up with a rotten child and a fine pig. Anyone tracking me on that? So we apply restraints in order to allow them to experience excellence and to thrive. So our our founder said, taking it from John Locke and this, this philosophy, The laws of nature, it can be discerned by anyone if they just simply want to examine it honestly, okay? That is natural law. They stayed away from divine law, but they said the laws of nature and nature's God. He did, and our founders did, recognize a creator. Why? Because if there isn't a supreme authority to be accountable to, then like Nietzsche, it's a survival of the fittest, and, and the one who is the strongest and most capable destroys you. So if you're invalid or feeble or elderly or, you know, you're a drain on the system, we're going to get rid of you. You tracking me? Yeah. And yet a nation that would be designed with this idea of equal and dignity, regardless of your physical makeup <laughs> or uh, an infirmity or, or or, and we honor that by life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is why they laid that out. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yes, back here. Yeah. So is it possible, Rob, that uh, John Locke got that from Romans 1, where Paul says God's invisible attributes are evident in creation, and, and that's why all men are accountable? And it goes in chapter 2 about the law of the heart. But he so the. Says that creation reveals God to the man. So the question is is it possible that John Locke got that from Romans 12? Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, you're right, Romans 1. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and actually, the, the, the thing that he quotes the most in his two treat, treatises of government, John Locke, is the scriptures themselves. He was moved by that. But he was the most influential philosopher for our founders. So I would, I would say wholeheartedly, yes, that influenced him. Uh, and the question for those listening, did John Locke get that idea from Romans chapter 1? And I'm, I'm in agreement with that. I'm, I'm assuming it is. Uh, back here. Is it not accurate to call us a democratic is it not to call it a democratic republic? Call us. Yeah, we are a constitutional republic. I was, I was discussing with a young person this week who was dealing with uh, trying to communicate what was happening with the NFL, and they, I, I was just so inspired by the fact that they took it on, and I said, I liked everything you wrote except for one thing, America's not a democracy, and they were political science, and they said, you know what? And I said, in a democracy with, with 51% taking over the 49%, the way that you get mob rule or get them to side with you is by protest. And so that's a natural thing to get population or to get popularity on your side to be able to move an issue in a, in a direction. And so a democracy almost invites um, a protest protest. Um, but if, if you really felt as though you were represented at the local level and at the state level and at the county level, and, and this was all, all, everything was operating and, and all the authority wasn't at this point where nobody could reach it, but it was pushed down to the local level where we had these freedoms, our tax rates were low. There wouldn't be this, but we're watching now where we're changing. We're becoming in a sense, an oligarchy. Um, you're, you it, does anybody have a problem trying to figure out what a Democrat and a Republican is? It's like just blurred. It's like one line of nobody wanting to do anything I voted to have them do. Anybody feel that way? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Uh, any other question? We've got a couple minutes. Yes. Would I consider California now to be an oligarchy? The, the few ruling, the many. In the last 10 years in California politics, 300 million dollars has been spent in political campaigns. And of that 300 million dollars, 200 million has been spent by two entities which are both public unions. And it's gone to one group of people which has established a, a executive legislative judicial lock on the state. And um, you know, the joke is that, that a conservative running in California is like a California condor, it's an endangered species. And Tom McClintock, who's a Congress member, said, what could cause citizens of California to leave the beauty of this state? And it really is. Isn't it, just stunning? Mm -hmm. What can cause people to leave the beauty of California for the the deserts of Nevada and the wastelands of Texas? One thing, bad government. No, we gave consent by our apathy. We walked out. Somewhere along the line, we stopped attending school board meetings. This, this, this week was probably one of the most influential school board meetings in recent history. And, and they're, they're, getting a, they're facing all kinds of issues. And most of the citizens in our city don't know. We're watching Cal Am want to raise our water rates 30%, and I can count on one hand the number of citizens that attended. And three of them were folks that I'd asked to come because I just asked members to come, just to, and they were there. But most people just go through the course of their day and they don't have a clue. And you're going to get the government that you participate in. And a constitutional republic requires we participate. Yes, question here. Is this a question or are you just... I'm, com- sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I'm, how, does this, how, how does this change for my consent where I pay taxes and I get a, a representative government that represents what I want, not what another side wants? Yeah. Sense everybody. So so the further away the government, the less, I would say, representation we have because the larger the population. If If we as a people focus locally. Today's, today's dog catcher is tomorrow's Congress member. And, and for, for you to make a change at the federal or state level, or even county level is a, is a monumental task. But if everyone in Thousand Oaks said, you know what, right here where I live, I am going to apply this and hold my, my representatives accountable to this from this area where we work, we create a model. Other citizens can see it. Other, other cities can see it. Other counties will see it. And the idea is, it's a lot harder. And let, me, let me put it this way. And I love this illustration. The grandpa and the grandson are, are walking on the beach. A hurricane hit. The storm had receded. The sun is out. And on the beach are millions of starfish, as far as the eye can see, that came up during the storm. And now they're all dying. The little grandson reaches down, starts to pick it up and throw them back, one at a time, trying to keep them alive. And the grandpa says, there's too many of them. You'll never make a difference. And the grandson says, I'm making a difference for this one. I'm making a difference for this one, at which point the grandfather joins him and the output is exponential. What is my point? My point is this. It's easy to look at the federal, the state, and the county and say, ah, to hell with it. It's out of control and I don't get what I pay for. But throw your starfish back you can make a difference right here. You can make a difference in your lifetime for this community. I, I, I may not be able to change the federal. I may not be able to change the state. I may not be able to change the county. But while I'm here, these truths to the best of my ability will be applied so that I can leave it for a future generation. Amen. That's that's the best I can give you. you. Sure. Yes. Are you yes. Yes. Question is, are we taking it? Yes. And the people were listening? Now, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so do I. I have two. And three. Two, two ex, boys. Next, uh, follows, following you, from Philadelphia. <laughs> you got family following from Philadelphia. Everyone turn around and say hi to Philadelphia and the blinking red light. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, over here. Where was that clip from you played? Uh, Ask me afterwards and I'll tell you. Because some of you, one of the things I'm, I really want to avoid during this time is, yeah, there, there's obvious things you know about me because I'm a public figure, but one of the things I really want to avoid is partisanship. I, I want to lay down the facts of what we've been given in a government and not shut anyone down. The reason why I only took a portion of that clip is because folks would find the entirety of that clip probably a struggle depending on their political position. So afterwards I will tell you. Okay? Yes. Aren't the propositions like mob rule in California? The question is, aren't the propositions in California like mob rule? It really puts it to a democracy level as opposed to our representatives. And it's almost like they they jettison the responsibility of representing us and they don't want to take a hit, so they put it on the ballot. Yes, I, I am completely against the proposition aspect in California. And then it seems get something passively like it goes
1: into the court system
0: yeah if they don't like it they shut it down and the judicial side of the government yeah and gets kicked out and then something they like it never gets challenged in court yeah we're we're getting dominated and this is not being applied by the way the second largest constitution on the face of the earth is the California constitution second only to India and I don't think any of you have ever read it I have read it in its entirety and it cured my insomnia (laughs) You had a question? Yeah, you owe me a Jefferson quote. I'm sorry? Yeah, do we have the slides from last week? I wanted to pull that Jefferson quote up because I didn't put it in my notes. Do you have it? The, the slides from last week is the very last slide. If you'll pull it up, I'll give it to you in just a second. It has to do with the way that he perceived the king, and I actually wanted to open with that, and I forgot it again. But you should have told me earlier, and we, everyone could have been blessed. You just ruined it. Thanks. No, okay. i I'll, I'll put it up there. Better late than never. Absolutely. I have time for one more question. Or 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 anything, a comment at this point, but it, uh, yes, right here. Commander Is there a reason we call our representatives lawmakers when they choose to just dis, to uh, distance themselves from the law and choose which laws to abide by or not abide by? Okay, the question is why do we call them lawmakers when they choose and pick
1: and choose which laws they are going to supposedly operate? Right.
0: Well they're making they're making laws, they're just not just and and we well, Okay, the question is, why do we call them lawmakers if they make laws we don't like and they don't follow the laws that they make? Their lawmakers are just unjust lawmakers. And they're there because we put them there. And because we don't know what the law is to defend, we can't hold them accountable. The governed must participate in the government or the few will govern the many. Final, right here. so this is this is a, a theological question pertaining to um, more my church side than than my political side. The question is how do we get people to realize the great benefit of being created and endowed by a creator as opposed to being um, you know a, a cosmic accident by chance and some primordial soup that evolved into this very specific creature that um, Uh, every cell is unique. And uh, for me, it's not very difficult. It's like saying people say, I don't believe in God because um, I've never seen him and I've never talked to him. Well, I say, okay, I've never seen the designer or the builder of this building, but I know he exists. How do you know? Because it screams of a designer. It's like taking a watch that has a leather strap and putting it on the ground and someone coming along and say, look at that. That just happened. What do you mean? Oh billions of years that the, the 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 sun and it was this thing and then it melted the sand and then it created then the wind blew and it beveled it and then it etched it and then a bird came along and actually poked after the cow was struck by lightning and the strip came off perfectly and then the No, you walk up and you go, somebody designed and made that thing. And and this screams of a designer. If, if if we're five percent closer to the sun, we burn to death. If we're five percent further away, we freeze to death. You see a child being born. We watch seasons come and go: winter, spring, summer, fall. The snow comes up to the mountains in the winter, and then it melts and, and it comes in, and it, you know, in the spring, and covers our field, and then the crops grow, and then in the fall we harvest, and then it, it, you look at it and just we can bank on it. And you look at the intricacy and in all these things, and th- this is this is where it boils down. You have autonomy, which is self-rule. Did we cover this already? All right, I'm gonna close with this and it's late. and You, you people are upsetting me. <laughs> you, have, you have autonomy, which means self-rule. That's just you, what governs you, what rules you. That breaks into two categories. This would be called theonomy, recognizing a creator. This would be called heteronomy, which doesn't recognize a creator. And the idea is simply this. Whatever you're filled with is what you're governed by. Can everyone see that? If it's theonomy, and there's an accountability to a creator, and this idea that we're created in the image of God, and we're given dignity, Or heteronomy, you heard heterosexual, that means male and a female, heterosexual. I'm a male, my wife is a female, we are human beings, but she is another of the same kind. She is a human being, I am another of the same kind. So it's a government, but it's another of the same kind. It is a government, meaning the same kind, but it's another government. This is a government that recognizes a creator, this is one that doesn't. And people say, well what about the Salem Witch Trials, and the the Inquisition, and the Crusades, and... I'll go through the history of that. In the Salem Witch Trials, less than 30 people died, and it was stopped by Christian ministers. And as Justice Breyer said, we got our due process laws from Christians as a result of the Salem Witch Trials. And the Inquisition, when the church had the sword, which was awful, not only did they come after Jews, and I was just at a Jewish gathering today, and I was communicating with them, they came after Protestants like me. And that was awful, and the church shouldn't have the sword. But as bad as those epics are in human history, and let's say looking at it, 500,000 people died, and that is a generous number for all those issues, how many people have died by governments that don't recognize God? (laughs) Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot, 100 million, million, 60 million, after a while it's just ridiculous numbers, Correct so it this this to me is one of the easiest ways to let someone see the significance of recognizing a creator, but one of the reasons why people don't want to recognize a creator is because our political persuasions take precedent, and we want to put our boot on the neck of people instead of seeing them as, an, as instead of seeing them as the enemy we want to see them as an opportunity and when you get political power, you want to exert it but this this is servant led that's why I used to call people public servants. We have to get back to that. Care about community, and, and let me tell you something. All these forms of government, I'm only at 804, I'll take two more minutes. All of these forms of government were designed because what is the difference between a dog and a child? The dog when it comes of age, they both, puppy is born the same time as the baby is and they grow up and at two years the dog can communicate its pleasure and its pain. And I told you about my dog buddy, I put my fingers in his ears and he just loves that. <laughs> And he, he communicates his pleasure with that. little disgusting, and I've washed my hands. We can shake later. A child, when it comes to the ability, what a child can do that a dog can't is the child can start to grow in its laws of nature and understanding its surroundings, comprehend it, grasp this philosophy, all of these ologies, and start to put together concepts to say, dog. Dog. And then mommy said dog. That's the dog. Dog, dog. Mommy says dog. And then the child looks on a piece of paper and says, D-O-G. What? And that has a sound and that figure has a, yeah. And then writes it down. And then the child doesn't even have to say it, can write it and transfer a thought on a piece of paper. Metaphysically. Transfer. Now knowledge is accumulated. We know how to read and, and we're no longer illiterate and we we can start to study and we we achieve what we were designed for. And we grasp our creation and we're blown or cr- the creation that we in which we live and we're blown away by it and we excel. But if we take that away and make man ignorant, they're easier to rule. You weren't who are you fooling? You're not special. I have the authority, I have the gun. You're a nobody, I rule you. And I'm not gonna let you organize, I'm not gonna let you theorize, I'm not gonna let you be educated, I'm gonna make you illiterate and keep you so that all you do is make my life happy. Well, what, did, what, what did the Southerners do with the slaves? They wouldn't let them read. They did that with Irish, uh, Irish too, you do, the, do the history of the Irish. And, and my generation is uh, Scottish Covenanters. We were in Northern Ireland. We were used by the British to suppress the Irish. And Irish slaves were cheaper than African American slaves because you had to bring them from Africa. Irish were cheap. You can get them for nothing. And you didn't have to insure them. We came here voluntarily, the Irish. Not my families. No, do your history. Yeah, they were indentured and enslaved. So the idea is if you make somebody illiterate, you can suppress them and have, and, and they, they don't, they just assume that they have no consent. They have no rights. I was always born a slave. I was always born a pauper, but then God speaks to the heart of humanity and it cries in it's innermost being. No, I've been created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear but a power, love, and a sound mind. I will stand for these rights and I will be right because what I'm reading is instilling in me something I've never known before. And then all of a sudden, you're moved to action and to stand upon that and to defend that. Evil is not tolerant of good and a lie is never tolerant of the truth and the two shall clash. It's 8.08. Uh, I'm tired. God bless you guys.